Good morning. Why don't you take your Bible and turn to Mark 9, and we're going to get there eventually. Maybe not today. I want to um, start off by giving you a, a, this is the definition that we have used for wisdom over the years, and it's certainly applicable applicable to what I want to share with you about relationship, okay? So here's the definition, what we've used as a working definition, wisdom, seeing and responding to life's situations from God's frame of reference. Okay? Seeing and responding to life's situations from God's frame of reference. Now, let me show you the practical of that. Here's a situation that comes into our life. Here's a circumstance, and we face them every day. Wisdom sees this situation. And because we're human, we see it a certain way. And we form conclusions about this circumstance. We form usually a negative conclusion, especially when something happens that makes us uncomfortable. It's amazing to me how far out we can get from just one little simple thing happening. My car broke down, oh God, the world's going to end. You know, and we just, we take these things all out. So we look at, we look at this circumstance and we form a, a mindset about it. And then we act in that situation based on our mindset. Our cars broke down. I've got no money. I have to worry because worrying helps. Worrying will put money in your bank account so you can fix your car. So we worry. And so we we look at life, we form conclusions, and then we choose and make decisions based on that. Wisdom is understanding that God has a perspective about every situation that takes place in our life. Nothing happens by accident. Nothing happens by circumstance. God has either designed it or he has allowed it but nothing has slipped by him. And he has a perspective about every situation that we experience. Not only does he have a perspective about that situation, but he has something for us to do to cooperate with him as he accomplishes what he wants to accomplish in that situation. He not only has a perspective about this situation, but he has something that he wants to accomplish in this situation. And he has something that he wants, some way he wants me to participate in what he's doing in this situation. Does that make sense? I've got my perspective. I've got my uh, ideas about what it ought to be. I've got my own ideas about how to deal with it, how to respond to it. And God has his perspective, and he has his desire for what he wants to accomplish in this situation. For us, it's mostly get relief as quick as I can. 
If it's a pressure situation, I want relief instantly. And sometimes God's not ready to do that because he's doing something else. So wisdom, instead of embracing my perspective and embracing my own ideas of how I'm supposed to respond in it, wisdom says I embrace how God sees this and I embrace how he wants to do things in this circumstance. Okay? Completely contrary to the wisdom of the world. Completely contrary to our mindset. God has a perspective about this, and he has something that he wants us to do in that. If I do that, if I set aside my perspective and set aside my judgments and and, and my ideas of what this circumstance is, if I set that aside, and if I set aside my ideas of how to fix it or how to correct it or how to get out from under the pressure, if I set aside that, if I embrace God's perspective of what it is and embrace God's perspective of what to do in it, wisdom is produced in my heart. And the more I do that, the more likely I am going to be in the next situation to reject my own ideas a little quicker and embrace God's perspective. That's the evidence of wisdom. So wisdom is something that's produced, it's imparted in our life when we embrace God's view of things and we embrace how God wants to do things. Now, most of us have never given much thought to God's frame of reference when it comes to relationships. Usually we give thought to God's frame of reference when we have messed it up. When we have messed this situation up, then it's okay, God, fix it. Whenever we have made the wrong choices, when we've exhausted our own efforts, then we typically will eventually go to God and say, now God, fix this. Woe is me. But we don't really give much thought up front to how God sees relationships and how he wants me to participate in those relationships. We typically fly by the seat of our pants. We typically go with what makes us feel good. Or we shun or reject those who make us feel uncomfortable. Let me explain something to you. I'm talking about, when I'm talking about relationship, I'm talking about the circumstance of God bringing people in our life. Okay? How am I going to view this situation? Am I going to view it by how this person makes me feel? Am I going to view it by how this person can contribute to my cause? Or how this person can give me security or confidence or how this person can do that? Or am I going to embrace it from God's perspective? Am I going to look at it and say, God, you have something. Let me back up. First of all, it goes with what we talked about this morning. Thank you for bringing this person into my life. Because this person didn't come by accident. 
This person didn't slip by you while you were taking a nap. This person didn't become a part of my world by accident. You have either allowed them or designed them to be in my life. Thank you for doing that. And is my next point going to be, Father, how do you see my relationship with this person? What's it supposed to look like? And how do you want me to cooperate with you in this relationship so that you can accomplish what you want to accomplish in it? Now, usually, we, like I say, we don't do that till the wheels come off. I mean, we go into marriage, for instance. And, and many of you know I've said this before. Uh, my niece just got married uh, out in California, and she called me up and she says, uh, uh, what about marriage counseling? Now, I, I'm not, this is not for everybody. This is just th- something that has been put in my heart, okay? So she called me up and said, what about marriage counseling? I said, well, I kind of take a little different approach to marriage counseling. My experience has been is that premarital counseling, you're willing to say anything I ask you to say while we're in marriage counseling so you'll look good about marriage. That you're willing to do anything that I ask you to do. But it just is a, it's, it's by rote. It's okay, this is marriage counseling. I'm gonna do. I said, this is the way I approach it. If you want me to marry you, you have to agree to coming back to see me one year after you're married. Because after one year, you're going to be looking for answers. After one year, you're going to be wanting, oh man, I don't know, what did I get into here? And we all, we, many of us go into marriage with a uh, misconception of what marriage is going to be. It's going to make me whole. It's going to make me complete. It's going to validate me. It's going to all these things. And we get in there, and it ain't that at all. And then we cry out to God, oh, God, I shouldn't have married this guy. He's a jerk. No, he was a jerk before you married him. Church bodies, boy, there's a big one. We have these expectations of what people in the body of Christ ought to look like, how they ought to respond to us, how they ought to treat us, how they ought to be nice to us all the time. Listen, there ain't nobody meaner than church people, okay? Just get it in your mind. It's just We're just people like everybody else. But then we, we're all gung-ho about this church, and it's going to be all this, and then somebody looks at us wrong or doesn't acknowledge us when we come in the room or says something the wrong way or, you know, worship's different than I'm a... We just go, oh, well, that's not church is not for me. Listen, am I willing to look at that life situation? Am I willing to look at this situation and say, God, what you, how do you see it? And how do you want me to cooperate with you beforehand and not after the wheels come off? And when we do this, when we operate this way, we usually make our circle of relationships very small because then they're manageable. They are controllable. They are containable. And once we get this little group of people that I'm finally comfortable with, and, you know, there are days it's just me. And there are days it ain't even me. 
But when we get this little circle, we get this small circle, and these are the people that we're going to relate to, and I'm comfortable with this person, and I can put a little pressure on this person and get them to do what I want them to do, and we get our rhythm going, and this is how it works. And it may be no more than a, a, a blood family. For some of us, we said, oh, God, don't make it blood family. You know, some of us, it's just this little group of friends that we have that we relate to, and, and it's kind of a closed circle. No more, no more, can't do no more. And so God brings someone into our life to expand our circle, and we're going, no, I don't think so. You, you look funny. You don't look like us. You don't talk like us. You don't relate like us. So we're just going to keep you at arm's length and probably going to reject you before you get a chance to reject us. That's our thinking in this kind of deal. And we never consider from God's perspective. We never consider that relationships started in eternity before anybody was ever here. Relationship was taking place in the heavenlies with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And relationship was God's idea. And it was here before it was ever anything else. There was anybody else. And that God has a significant purpose for every relationship. That nothing happens by circumstance. Nothing happens by interesting. Well, I say, well, I'm just not very relational. Well, let me explain something to you. God is very relational. And if I'm going to embrace how God sees relationships, I must allow myself to be relational as well with other people. God has a purpose in these relationships. He has a purpose for every relationship on the earth. And it's the same as his purpose in his relationship between him and us. And that purpose is the exchange of life. We exchange life. I give him my life, he gives me his life. Who gets the better deal? We give him this mess, he gives us his glory. We give him our resentment, he gives us his love. We give him our anger, he gives us his forgiveness. Heck of a deal, ain't it? But there's an exchange of life going on here. And as he works in me, I'm able to return the life to him that he gave to me. Sanctified life, glorified life, pure life, forgiven life, gracious life. And in this relationship with him, God says, I want an exchange of life. You, that's why he's so strong and scripture about how he refers to us. We use terms like disciples and followers and all of those things. None of those project or express an exchange of life. God calls us what? Sons, daughters, children. There's the exchange of life that goes on. And God says, my heart for you, I'm not looking for you to perform for me. I've got angels that will perform and not gripe about doing it. 
They won't complain about it. Why would I want you when you gripe and complain and worry and fret and all that stuff? What I want from you is to be able to exchange life with you. And what I want you to do within this context of earth to live in such a manner that you exchange life with one another. You receive my life, you receive my life, and this life is exchanged. And it goes back to that thing the Lord told me years ago that I've shared with you when he said, you're never going to be whole and healthy with just me and you because I have placed expressions of myself in people that you will never experience if you don't understand relationship. The breakdown's not with God. He can do anything he wants to do, but he says, I'm going to express myself through Tanya, through Ted, through Paul, through Susan, through Tim. I'm going to put expressions of myself in them, and you will never be able to see the com- a greater completeness of me without relationships with them. It's an exchange of life. That's God's purpose in relationship. Embracing that perspective is the key to living in a healthy relationship. Okay? In other words, my objective is to have a healthy relationship. I want to have healthy relationships. There is nothing more rewarding than a healthy relationship. Joan and I have been married for years. And we have the healthiest relationship we have ever had. Now, men will always say that. Is that true? Would you say, okay, I want to hurt it. You know, men are just, oh, yeah, it's wonderful, man. We're good. <laughs> but there's nothing like that. But there's nothing more tormenting. There's nothing more painful. There's nothing more stressful than a relationship that's not healthy. God says, I want healthy relationships for you. I want there to be an exchange of my life between the two of you, between one another. Now, let me qualify that statement just a, bit, just a little bit. I cannot control if a relationship is healthy. Why? I can't control if the relationship that I have with Alex is a healthy relationship. Why? Takes two, doesn't it? Takes two people to have a healthy relationship. I can't control if my relationship with someone is going to be a mature relationship. Because it takes two. I can't control if both parties in this relationship are going to embrace God's perspective. All I can control is, am I bringing health to the relationship? Am I bringing maturity to the relationship? Have I embraced God's perspective for this relationship in my heart? That's the only thing I'm responsible for. If I don't see that, then I am setting myself up for failure in relationship. I cannot control how other people are going to do, what other people are going to say, how they're going to respond. It's more about what I bring to a relationship instead of what I go into it looking to get out of it. 
If I don't embrace that, then this relationship is going to resort to things like clinginess. You've been in relationship with people that are just clingy. I mean, they want to be with you every moment. They want to dominate every thought. Manipulation. Boy, that's a big one. That's a big one. You know, manipulation works like this. I have something I want you to do. And I can put enough pressure on you so that you will do what I want you to do in order to have the pressure relieved off of you. It might be rejection. It might be shame. It might be withholding love. It might be whatever. But I'll put this pressure on you and get you to respond the way I want you to. If I don't embrace God's perspective, there's a real good chance manipulation is going to be a key factor in our relationship. Because I've got an expectation of you. And if you don't fulfill this expectation, buddy, there's going to be something to pay. Pressure is going to be brought to bear on you until you do it. And then there's always resentment that accompanies that. If I don't see that, there'll be manipulation, clinginess, pressure, control. I believe that God's heart is that we have healthy relationships with him and with others. Okay? Now, Scripture has given us some some light. What that looks like. Scripture has given us some things that we can embrace, that we can take to a relationship that will improve the odds of this relationship being healthy. Okay? There are some things, and it's always that way, isn't it? We think it's all about them, and God says, no, here it is. We think it's about God changes. If you just do this, and God says, well, this is what I want to deal with in you. And Scripture's been very clear about giving us some things that if we will, things that are God's perspective, things that God wants us to do, that we embrace and that we take into a relationship, and because we take into that relationship, it increases the chances that it's going to be a healthy relationship. Okay? One of them is Mark chapter 9, verse 50. Verse 50, 49 says, For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves. Be at peace with one another. Now, let me me explain something to you about salt. We have a few, me and Jim, I think, are older, and we might know this, coming from a farm background a little bit. Whenever, whenever I was a kid, it was always a thrill when I would go to my grandparents and we'd kill a hog. That was cool. I got to shoot it one time. I just that was so cool, you know. Anyway, we won't get into that much. But anyway, they would they would butcher this hog and they would cut it up into portions and they would take the meat and they would lay it out on this table and they would just cover it with salt and they would just press that salt into the meat. Didn't have refrigeration. They would just press that salt into the meat. And then they would take that meat, and they had this little building over here, and it was called a smokehouse. And they would hang that meat in that smokehouse, and they'd build a little fire, usually using green wood, because it would smoke more, or a little bit green. 
And they would light it, and it would smoke, and it would fill that smokehouse with smoke, and that would give flavor. The salt would there to preserve the meat. So when he's referencing salt, he's saying, there is something inside of you that I want you to take to a situation that is expressed as peace. Okay? It's expressed as peace. I want you to bring peace to this situation. Be at peace with one another. Now look with me in Romans chapter 12. Paul reiterated this. In Romans chapter 12, boy, he gets into this long list, wow, of do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Then he says in verse 18, if it possible, verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Okay? He's talking about me having relationships with men. And he says, as far as it's possible, and one translation says, as far as it lies within you, be at peace with all men. My part in helping establish a healthy relationship is to bring peace to the relationship. To bring peace. Relationships don't flourish in turmoil. He says, don't be the source of the turmoil. Being at peace with all men starts with being at peace within ourselves. Now, I want to give you a picture. I want to explain something to you. These verses are in the context of a command. I'm commanding you to do this. Anytime there is a, the context is a command, it says, now you have a choice. You got a choice. You can bring peace to the relationship, or you can bring something else altogether. Now, let me explain something to you about Scripture. The commands in Scripture are never predicated on the premise that we have it within ourselves to obey it in our own strength. Scripture, whenever there's a command in the Scripture, he's not giving that to us knowing that we can do that. He gives it to us knowing we cannot do that, which forces us, turns us to Christ who will empower us to do that. But we don't have the ability to do it within ourselves. They're always predicated on the premise that you can't do it alone. But if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, if it's Christ in you greater than anything in the world, If in Christ you can do all things through him who strengthens you, if it's in Christ in me in the hope of glory, then I can obey. But I cannot obey it on my own. It's always predicated on the understanding that he has given Christ and Christ is in us. And trusting him 
Walking in him will empower us to obey the command. Here's where we get in trouble. We read something like that and we say, by grit and by gum, I'm going to be at peace. And you better recognize I'm at peace. And if you don't know I'm in peace, I'm going to let you know I'm in peace. We do it on our own energy. We do it on self-effort. We do it by rededication. We do it by promises. We do it by pledges to do better. Instead of, how can I do this, Lord? Our first, our, first, our first question, when we see any command in Scripture, ought to be, what does that mean, Lord? Instead of relying on our own brain, oh, I know what that means. No, you don't know what that means. Only the Spirit of God knows what that means. And my first question should be, Lord, what does this mean? What does it mean to be at peace with all men? The second question ought to be, what does that look like? When you say be at peace with all men, how does that look? Next question is, how do you want me to cooperate with you in being at peace with all men? It's never on the idea that, well, he told me to do that. I'm just going to pull up my britches a notch and I'm going to do it. No. The first response is, Lord, I don't have any idea what this means. We've tried to love people, haven't we? I mean, the worst thing you can do is just try to love me. The best thing we can do is say, Lord, I don't have that love within me. You have that love within me. Show me how to love that person the way you want me to love them. Show me how to bring peace into this situation. One side says, one view says it's self-effort. It's determination, it's rededication, it's promises, it's pledges to do better. The other side says, I live out of a finished work of Christ. One side says, I think I can. The other side says, I know I can't. But he did and will again. See the distinction? One instead of just sucking it up and giving it a shot in the flesh, the other one goes to him and relies on him to show me how to do that. What a contrast with the view that says, what can I get out of this relationship? What's it going to do to make me feel good? It begs the question, what What do I bring to relationships? And God's bringing people into your life every day. What are you bringing into that relationship? Forgiveness? Grace? Mercy? Love? Kindness? Acceptance? Peace? Am I bringing peace into this relationship? Or am I bringing suckiness, judgmentalism, criticism, neediness, victimhood, clinginess, fear, manipulation, turmoil. Listen, I cannot carry resentment and unforgiveness from one relationship into another relationship and expect this relationship to be healthy. 
The things I brought from here will come to here. And, 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 and yet we go, my, all my relationships just keep repeating themselves. Well, what's the common denominator? It's you. I can't bring resentment and unforgiveness from this relationship into this relationship and it not affect that relationship. What's inside will come out. Doesn't matter what the exterior circumstance is. That's why getting rid of this wife and getting you another one ain't going to help. You may look at her and say, oh, she's different. You marry her. Just wait. God will make her just like your last wife. Because he's trying to work something in you. And it's not the external, it's what's inside here. I'm telling you, people in the world are crying out for peace. And they're trying to find it out here in in government. Boy, that's been a real winner, hasn't it? In finances, in the market, in the pick something. The Spirit says, as much as lies within you, bring peace. Do you have inner peace that allows you to bring peace to a relationship? The question answers the question, where does this peace come from? Where am I going to get peace? Peace is not found in the external arrangement of circumstances. Let me say that again. Peace is not found in the external arrangement of circumstances. You can try till Jesus comes to get your ducks in order before you decide you're going to have peace, and you will never have it. It doesn't come from getting everything done, accomplishing everything, having people line up to my expectations. If I could just get people to do what I want them to do, life would be so much better. Where does it come from? John 14, verse 27. I love these verses. John 14, verse 27. Peace, this is Jesus. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled nor let it be afraid. Now look in chapter 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. Jesus gave us peace when we met him. When we met him, he gave us peace. Peace was established in our heart. And it was established because an armistice had been declared between him and me. And here's what one guy said. From the very moment we chose to be an enemy to God, we chose to be an enemy to one another. Can 
Can I bring peace to an enemy? Learning to find inner peace not only will change your personal life, but it will change the climate of your relationship. By removing expectations of people to validate you, being confident in what God has done in you. And when that peace reigns in my heart, I don't have to react or respond to people the way I've always done in the past. I can do something differently. Not because people change, but because now I live in peace. I don't have to take offense. I don't have to personalize and internalize everything. It's amazing how skillful we are at taking any statement in any conversation in any circumstance and make it about me. What do they mean by that? Well, they must not like me. Was my hair right? What is it that they didn't say? We don't have to do that. We're not looking for their approval. We don't have to be intimidated. We can be genuinely concerned with others. We can't be manipulated. You just can't be. A person that's got peace just cannot be manipulated. People can try all they want to put pressure on them, but the person that's got inner peace, eh, whatever. Now, you're going to catch flack for that, but whatever. If there's peace inside, you can rest and let people act the way they're going to act, even when they're acting foolishly and harmfully. Don't have to run away or chase people off for fear of being abandoned. Don't have to be critical of people, always pointing out their flaws in order to feel better about myself. If I don't have peace inside of me, you shouldn't either. In fact, I'm going to point out all the ways that you got it messed up. Now, I feel better about myself because I ain't that messed up. Critical of everybody. There's such an art at picking out the flaws in people. Don't have to live out of wounds from the past, but can live out of Christ's grace for today. One more thing. It doesn't matter whether the other person is a Christian or not. It only matters that you say you are. Because if you say you're a Christian and you just keep bringing to relationships what the lost bring to relationships, that's a contradiction in terms. It matters that I hold myself out to be a child of God. It says that God, Christ has given me peace, and I can embrace that peace and sit down inside, have that peace inside of me. But what does peace look like? It looks like a gentle answer. Psalm says a gentle answer turns away wrath. It looks like respect. No manipulation from this side. No name calling. No personal attacks. No exaggeration. I don't have to exaggerate in our conversation to make myself look good. Now, okay, I won't go there. I can listen first and not interrupt in conversations. I can check my anger beforehand. Listen, you can see through anger or you can see through the spirit, but you can't see through both. 
Well, I'm going to control my anger. Listen, anger is not to be controlled. It's to be healed. How do I get over being angry? I said, don't be angry. You don't get angry. You don't have to worry about getting over anger. There's a healing process that takes place in there. Anger requires healing, not controlling it. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 says this, Now may the God of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance, including your relationships. Here's how that peace is, is renewed. Jesus gave us peace. That peace is disturbed when I internalize turmoil of the world into my life. When I look at my circumstance and I say, that's turmoil, and I bring that into my heart, oh, I got to worry, I got to fret, I got to be, all this, it disturbs that peace. Peace comes when I can get in his presence, be still, and sit down on the inside. Sit down on the inside. Isn't that where we're at anyway? Hasn't he seated us in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus? That's where peace comes from. Knowing he's got this. He will work this to his glory and to my benefit. That's how peace is realized. He's given it to us. The question is, are we going to embrace it? That's his perspective from my heart. And be still and say, Lord, you've you've got this. I just want your peace to reign in my relationships. It gives you a much better chance of having a healthy relationship than it would be if I come with anger or turmoil or stress or anxiety or suckiness or insecurity or any of those things. Because I put that on you. See, if I come with that relationship, you're going to be the answer to all my problems. God will say, that's my job, and I won't relinquish that to anyone except to me. Okay? Any questions? Peace.